but how many of you have ever struggled to pray, like how to pray or what to pray for? Well, the good news today as we get into Ephesians is Paul was someone who knew how to pray. And he's going to help us today know how to pray, what to pray for. Look at verse 14. The first thing Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees. Paul says, this is something I do. It's very personal. You see, the object of prayer is not to bend the will of God to mine, but to bend my will to God's when I pray. Trusting Him, submitting to Him, surrendering to Him. I mean, have you ever prayed hoping that God would give you what you wanted, but instead He changed what you wanted? He changed your desires. He, he changed your thoughts. He, he, he changed your will to, to His will. We're to reflect His glory in and through our life. And, and, and that affects our prayers. That when we pray, we pray that God would be glorified in and through our lives and through our church. got your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Your mobile devices or Bibles, whichever one you choose to use. If you're using one of the Bibles you may have picked up at the door, it's on page uh, 472. Uh, let me ask you guys this question here on this first Sunday of the year. Be honest, raise your hand. How many of you guys made maybe a New Year's resolution or you already made a decision that had to do with bettering your health this year. You made some kind of health decision. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to eat different. Two of you. Okay, we'll have two healthy people. Great. Well, this is certainly a time of the year where a lot of people are making uh, health decisions because we all feel very guilty for how badly we misbehaved in the month of December with all the holiday goodies. And I uh, pulled out the Sunday paper. Last Sunday was the first Sunday uh, right there after Christmas. And I started going through the ads. And uh, this was a Walmart's ad. All their ellipticals are on sale. Uh, this was Big Five. They've got uh, treadmills, uh, workout clothes, shoes on sale. Uh, there was an ad for fitness gallery. They're, they're selling all their workout equipment, uh, Sports Authority, let's see what else, Dick's Sporting Goods, all of them, they're all selling, got all these sales on uh, sports and athletic equipment uh, right here at the first year as people are making those decisions uh, to get healthy. And uh, let me give, help you guys out this morning, all right, I'm going I'm to help you guys out. If you want to buy any of those kinds of equipment, if you'll just hold off a few months, uh, like May and June, all of this equipment will be in garage sales. About half price, it'll have a sign that says, barely or hardly ever used. You know what I'm talking about? So if you hold off a little bit, you get you a, a really good deal on that. Um, I, I, when I turned 40 uh, a few years ago, I won't tell you exactly how many, but when I turned 40, I realized I had to start working out on a regular basis or I wasn't going to stay the way I wanted to stay. And uh, so I've, I've been working out year-round and trying to stay healthy, and, and it's helped me a lot. And, uh, but this is the time of year for those people that work out on a regular basis. Don't you hate this time of year? Because you go in the gym, and this is what the gym looks like when you go in this time of year, the treadmill. The treadmills are all full, the ellipticals, you got to wait around. But in about four weeks, this is what it'll look like, just like that right there. And, and everybody kind of gives up. But, but everybody's trying to be healthy right now. And it's very interesting that as we jump in back into Ephesians, we've been studying this book. We started before Christmas. We finished the first three chapters. Now we're going to finish the last three chapters. Paul is talking about health. As we jump into chapter 4, not physical health, but more importantly, our spiritual health. And just as it's important to be physically healthy, it's more important to be spiritually healthy. And so today our, our title is, I Am Healthy. 
Uh, when we started the church here at Orchard Church eight years ago, you know, it's never been our desire to try to grow our church as many people as we can have and get as big as we can have and start as many services, you know, and all of that. It's always been, our, our goal and our focus has always been on health, spiritual health, making sure we have a spiritually healthy church because I believe that anything that is healthy, it naturally grows, Amen. And so that's been our focus, and, and as we jump back into Ephesians, that's Paul's focus uh, that kicks off our new year. And I kind of, I was telling last service, I, I kind of laughed as I was studying this over the last couple of weeks, going, wow, what a perfect practical place for us to be in to kick off 2014, to make sure we stay a healthy church. So how do we do that? Well, let's jump into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now he starts this verse out and he says, I therefore. And anytime we see the word therefore, we need to ask, what is it? What's it there for? Paul, this is a transitional verse in this book of the Bible. Uh, we're moving from the first three chapters that were very doctrinal and teaching to the last three chapters that are very practical and living it out. He's now talking about your walk, walking worthy. Sometimes you've heard the phrase, uh, how is your Christian walk? How are you living out what you're studying in the Bible? So we're now moving from principle to practice. We're moving from our identity, who we are positionally in Christ, to our activity and how we live that out. We've, we've called this series, Who Do You Think You Are? And in the first three chapters, Paul has been telling us, this is who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. This is positionally who you are. Uh, we've learned phrases like, I am blessed, I'm appreciated, I'm saved, I'm reconciled, I'm known by God, I'm heard. And now he's going to say, okay, now this is what you do with all of that, that you walk worthy of what you've been given. And I've, I've said before that the goal of the Christian life is that our practical Christian living would match positionally who we are in Christ. If that makes sense, say yes. We find out who we are in Christ positionally, but we need to make sure that we're living that out practically. Let me give you an example this way uh, with Peyton Manning. Two years ago, uh, the Denver Broncos were in the market for a new quarterback, and Peyton Manning was, on, you know out there on the market. And so they made a decision to give him a two-year, or excuse me, a five-year, a $96 million contract. Now, some people were excited about getting Peyton Manning. Some people weren't so excited about getting Peyton Manning. Some people thought that's too much money for a quarterback that is, you know, in his mid-late 30s. He's had four surgeries. He's probably, a lot of people thought he's at the end of his career. He's never going to amount to anything again. It's turned out pretty good, hasn't it? And uh, they gave him that contract. He, he was guaranteed $96 million over five years. Um, they, they said, you're going to be our starting quarterback. Positionally, everything was given to him, even though he hadn't played a single game. And I remember when they were interviewing Peyton Manning, they said, what are you going to do with $96 million? Are you going to get to continue your career? And he said this, I'm going to earn it. I think he's done a pretty good job, hasn't he? And he is now practically living up to what he was given positionally. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians now as we turn the corner in chapters 4, 5, and 6. You've been given all these things in Christ. Now make sure practically you're living up to these things. And so today it's about being healthy, being healthy Christians, having a healthy church. And so Paul goes in to describe this in verse 2. He says that you walk worthy of your calling, that you've been called with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, which is patience, bearing with one another in love. We, we've, he's already talked about this in this book, that we are a church family, that we've been brought together as one and we're to be unified, we're to love each other and care for each other. He says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. God wants his children to get along. There is one body. Now he talks about how we're all many parts, but yet we're one. We're one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So he's just again talking about we are a family, we're in this together and make sure practically we're taking care of one another, we're on the same page, you're unified, we're loving one another. He's talking about a church being healthy. And then he expounds it a little bit further, and he says, even though we're all one in the same family, we're, we still are individuals. It's kind of like your family. You know, you're, you're one family, and you have the same last name, but each of you are individuals. You have your own personality, your own characteristics, your own abilities. And so now he says in verse 7, but even though we're all one, to each one of us individually, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's letting us know that we're all engifted by Christ. He has given us spiritual gifts to use together to make the body better and more healthy. Now, he doesn't continue on here to talk about all the different spiritual gifts that all of us have been given. I've given these in your notes. If you go check out 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, there's a list of these different spiritual gifts that are given to the body of Christ, to us individually, to make sure we're all healthy and on, on the same page. But he does here focus not so much on all the individual gifts of the church members, but he focuses on the individual gifts of the leaders of the church. Now, you all might be like going, oh, well, that doesn't really affect us, but it does. Let me show you what I'm talking about as he kind of talks about these gifts to the leaders. He says in verse 8, therefore, he says, and then he, he quotes an Old Testament passage in Psalm 68, 18 that David wrote. It says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave what? Gifts to men. He gave gifts. Uh, he's using this as an illustration. Uh, David talked about when a king would go to a, an enemy nation and he would conquer it. He would set a lot of the captives free. He would free them and many times bring them back to their kingdom. And also he would take all the spoils of the war and the possessions. He would bring, the king would bring them back to his kingdom and he would distribute those gifts to everyone in his kingdom. That's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus came to this earth. He died for us. He was buried, rose again. He conquered when he died. He, he conquered death and hell and Satan and, and sin. And he set us free from our sins. And now he's in, he ascended back to heaven and he's in his kingdom on his throne. And every time someone comes to faith in Christ, the child of God, he distributes gifts to us like a king, like, like they did in the Old Testament. And that's what he's referring to here, how he's given these gifts out. Verse 9, he says, now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. We know that Jesus left his throne in heaven. He came to this earth. He died on a cross, he was buried, and he descended into the earth. But then what? He rose again, he ascended out of the grave, and then he didn't stay here, he ascended back into heaven, where right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's given these gifts, these spiritual gifts to his children. That's what he's talking about here. Then verse 10, he says, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And now he's going to talk about the specific gifts He's given to church leaders. Now hang with me because you'll see how this affects you guys. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles and some prophets. That's the foundational leadership of the church. 2,000 years ago, the church was founded by the apostles and prophets. Prophets of the Old Testament, apostles of the New Testament. That's where the church got started. 
now the foundation has been built on with the next group of people that have been gifted, evangelists and some pastors and teachers. When you think of evangelists, it's people that are, are good or going around the country or the world and sharing the gospel. I mean, when I think of an evangelist, I think of Billy Graham. You know, probably one of the most well-known evangelists of our time. Evangelists don't usually pastor any particular church, but they go around sharing the gospel throughout the world. But what does he give to, the, to each local church? To each church, he gives spiritual leaders to lead the church today. And what does he say? He calls them pastors and teachers. Notice he doesn't say some pastors and some teachers. Because they're, they're not two separate things. There's one office, which is pastor, and one of the functions of a pastor is a teacher. That's one of what I've been called to be, to be a pastor, a shepherd of God's people, and to teach you guys the Word of God. Are you with me? And so that is how God has engifted pastor teachers for the church. But how does that affect all of you guys? Here's how it affects you. Watch verse 12. He's given pastors to the church to do this, to, uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the equipping of Who? The saints. Now, I've, I say this all the time. When you read the word saints, don't think good dead people. Okay? Never in the Bible are saints defined as good dead people. Saints are living believers. People that have accepted Christ and they're alive. So he is equipped. He's given pastors to the church to equip the saints, the believers, to do the work of what, church? You see, you guys are even afraid to say it because there's accountability with this. To do the work of ministry. To do the work of ministry. Why? For the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The church family. The church. God's people. So what Paul is telling us here is that God has gifted pastors to lead the church to equip you guys that are believers to do the work of ministry so that we have a healthy, edified church body and church family. Is that what it says? Say yes. That's absolutely what it says. Now... What that means here at Orchard Church is this. We believe at Orchard Church, based on the scriptures, that our senior pastor of Orchard Church is Jesus Christ. He's our senior pastor. He is the head of this church. His assistants are our pastoral team, like myself and others on our team. But our ministers, when people say, who are the ministers at Orchard Church? The ministers are guess who? You guys. God has... A, called us to equip you as believers, it's what Paul says here, to do the work of ministry so that we're a healthy church. That's what he says. So when people ask who are the ministers of our church, we say all of our members, all the believers. And our responsibility is to equip you guys to do the work of ministry. Now that brings about a very important question that I want to spend the rest of our time on. If you guys are supposed to be doing the work of ministry... And we as a pastoral team are supposed to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry. Then the question is, what is the work of ministry? We need to know what that is, amen? We need to understand what does that look like. I better understand it, you better understand it. And why is it so important? So I want to spend the rest of the time talking about the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry that you're supposed to be doing and we're to equip you to do? And why is it so important? Let me start with this. Luke, when he wrote Acts... In Acts chapter 1, he said this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. So Jesus began a ministry, but he intended for it to continue on. He says, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles, the foundation of the church, further instructions through the Holy Spirit. 
And do you remember some of the last instructions that Jesus gave to the apostles? He, Jesus began a ministry that he did for three and a half years before he went to the cross. But before he left, he said to his disciples, his apostles this, in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make what? Does that sound familiar? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus made disciples, and he told his disciples to make disciples. He told them to do the work of the ministry, which he had begun to do. And that work of the ministry has been carried for 2,000 years to us today. We're to do the same work of the ministry that Jesus did, and that the disciples did, which was make disciples. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Jesus said it this way, Therefore, my beloved brethren, that, now beloved brethren is you guys, believers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of what? Work of the Lord. It's, it, he changes the words just a little bit. In, in Ephesians, he calls it the work of the ministry. In Corinthians, he calls it the work of the Lord. It's the same thing. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what is the work of the Lord and the work of the ministry? What, what does it look like? Well, the work of the Lord is simply the work the Lord did when he was on this earth working. Doing the work, doing the ministry that we now, 2,000 years later, are supposed to equip you guys to do. We call it discipleship. Jesus called it discipleship. And the good news is that Jesus didn't just say, okay, go make disciples and figure it out. He gave us a blueprint and a pattern. He, he defined it for us and what it looks like to help us answer what is the work of ministry. So I want you guys to hold your place in Ephesians and turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, fourth book of your New Testament. Because it's in John 17 that Jesus outlines the work of the Lord that we're supposed to be doing, the work of the ministry, making disciples, what it looks like. And it involves three different components. But I want you to notice what Jesus said in John 17, verse 4. Now, let me set the context for you as you're finding your way there. Jesus is in the upper room. He's with his disciples he spent, who he has spent the last three and a half years ministering with, making disciples. And he knows he's getting ready to, to leave that room and he's going to be arrested and crucified. Uh, in the upper room, it's where they had the Last Supper, where communion started. Okay, you got the scene? You're with me? And, and he's knows he's about to be arrested and crucified and buried, and, and he knows he's not going to be around a whole lot longer. And so he's, he prays this prayer for his disciples. And in this prayer, he describes everything that he's done for the last three and a half years with these 12. And in John 17, verse 4, in this prayer, he says this, I have, past tense, glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Jesus cannot be talking here about the work of redemption at the cross because he hasn't even been crucified yet. He hasn't even been arrested. But yet he says, I've finished the work. I've finished the work of the Lord, the work that we're supposed to be doing, the ministry we're supposed to be doing. And in this prayer, as he continues to pray, he, he details what he did, which is very helpful to, for all of us because what he did is what we're supposed to be doing. And it involves three components. Three, there's three components of discipleship, of the, the work of the ministry, the work of the Lord. Are you guys with me? Say yes. You with me? Let's see what those three are. Look what Jesus says. The first one is this. It's evangelism. The first step in discipleship and the work of the ministry is evangelism. In verse 3, he says, 
And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We, that's bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what he first did with his disciples. He, he evangelized them. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Evangelism, you have this in your notes. Evangelism and discipleship are not two separate things. They're not. Discipleship begins with evangelism. You see, evangelism is the first component. It's part of the disciple-making process. We need to remember what Jesus said when he gave the Great Commission, the work of the Lord in ministry. He said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and lead people to Christ. He didn't say go and evangelize. I grew up in a church, and I thank God that they put an evangelistic heart in me, but that, that's all I ever heard was win people to Christ, win people to Christ, evangelize. I never heard about discipleship. I never heard that word other than Jesus had these guys called disciples. And, and the, the commission was not go and just lead people to Christ. It was go and make disciples, and leading someone to Christ is the first step of that process. The word disciple comes from the Greek word matheteo. It means a follower. It means a learner. That's what discipleship means. So evangelism is not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. And the end is that we make disciples. If this were not true, when you and I accepted Christ, if the goal was only to just get us saved so we could go to heaven someday, then we might as well have just been whisked right off to heaven when we accepted Christ. But how many of you guys realize since you accepted Christ, you're still here? Right? Which means God has some work for you to do. The work of the ministry, the work of the Lord, to make some disciples. He left you here for a reason. Just like he left, when Jesus left, he didn't take his disciples with him. He left them here to do the work of ministry. So our commission is to make disciples. And leading someone to Christ is that first and necessary step. And praise God, we have seen well over a thousand people come to Christ in the last eight years here at Orchard Church. I told you last Sunday, in 2013 alone, we had 255 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we praise God for that, absolutely. But that's just the beginning. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. Proverbs 11.30 says this, He who wins souls is wise. And it is wise to win souls, bring people to Christ. But I would say this, winning souls might make you wise... But if that's all you do, then you're only partially obedient. Because Jesus didn't just say win souls. He said, make disciples. And, and I've been in discussions with other pastors and church leaders. And, and, you know, people hear about what God's doing here at Orchard Church. And we kind of tell them about it. And, and sometimes I'll have, I'll have friends of mine that will say, and they mean well, but... I, they will say, well, it's really cool that you guys are really into discipleship and making disciples, and that's what your church was founded on, but we're really into evangelism, and we're really into leading people to Christ, so, you know, we'll lead a lot of people to Christ, and you guys will probably make a lot of disciples, and they kind of separate the two, and what happens in churches that are only evangelistic, and, and, and all they do is lead people to Christ, and that's it, you know what happens, is they're a mile wide, but they're about an inch deep. There's no depth, there's no health, there's no growth. And when marriages start to struggle and parenting starts to struggle and health problems happen and finances, many of those people leave and they fall away because they haven't been discipled, they haven't, they haven't grown. And so what I respectfully will say to them, as respectfully as I can, I say, you know, you can be an evangelistic church without being a disciple-making church. And there are many of them out there. 
But you cannot truly be a disciple-making church without being an evangelistic church. Do you see the difference? Because making disciples begins with evangelism, bringing people to Christ, but it does not end there. Here's component number two of the work of ministry, making disciples. First is evangelism, but second is edification. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians, till we're all edified, mature. Edification, look at verse 8. Jesus said, I didn't just evangelize, but verse 8, he says, I have given to them, to his disciples, the words which you have given me, and they have received them. He poured the word of God into their life. He didn't just say, okay, you're saved, you got your ticket to heaven, cool, meet you there one day. No, he spent time, three and a half years, pouring the word of God into their life. You see, once a person has become a believer in Jesus Christ, God's desire is that they grow to spiritual maturity, that they be edified, that they're spiritually healthy, that they're growing in Christ. Uh, This word edify uh, comes from the old English word edifice, like a building. It means to build up to maturity. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 4.11. He says, you know, that as pastors, we're to equip you guys to do the work of ministry. Why? For the edifying, the building up, the maturing of the body of Christ. Those of you that are parents can understand this full well. When, you know, you get excited about that baby coming into your family. You know, hey, we got pregnant, we're going to have a baby, or we're going to adopt a baby. You get all excited, you have this big celebration. But you know now that when that baby is born... The real work begins. I mean, now it's the late nights and the feedings and the changings and the money and all that. I mean, the work doesn't end when the baby arrives. The work begins when the baby arrives. And you have to take time as as good parents to make sure that baby is growing and that it's it's healthy. And and, and a baby has to be fed milk. You, you, You can't, you know... You could take a baby, put it in a car seat before a buffet and go, okay, good luck, and that baby is gonna starve. The same is true spiritually. The Bible says that when someone accepts Christ, they're born again, they're now a newborn babe in Christ. And the Bible says that we gotta feed them with the milk of the word. I mean, you take this Bible, the whole word of God, it's like a T-bone steak. I mean, it's like a huge buffet. And you can't, uh, new believers in Christ can't handle all of this. Somebody has to come along as a spiritual parent and break it down into milk form so they can understand it and walk with them. Does that make sense? Say yes. And so just as it's important with our physical babies, it's important with our spiritual babies if they're going to grow and they're going to be healthy. This is why discipleship has to be relational. We don't just, you know, throw them a book and say, here you go, good luck, here's a steak, have at it. We connect people in relationship, a man with another man, a lady with another lady, couples with couples, so that we call it spiritual parenting, and that we can love on those disciples and we can have a relationship with them. You see this pattern throughout the Bible. I've given you some reference. Paul had a relationship with his disciples. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he describes... Uh, in these parental terms, the kind of relationship that he had with his churches. He said, I was a loving father to you. I was like a nursing mother to you. He said, I nursed you with the word of God like a mother nurses her newborn baby. That's relationship. That's love. That takes time. That has to be done up close. That's why we encourage our disciples to spend time with their disciples. We say, you know, don't just show up and meet for a Bible study. It's about a relationship. Make sure that you know, you're, you're having meals together. You're playing golf together. You're going shopping together. You're going to sporting events. Having them over. You're building a relationship. 
Jesus had a relationship with his disciples. You, you read about Jesus and his disciples. He didn't say, okay, guys, I'm going to meet you tomorrow at this classroom for an hour. I'm going to teach you a little bit more about the Bible, then I'll see you again next week. No, Jesus, they did life together. They did ministry together. They traveled together. In John 15, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I don't call you my servants. He said, I call you my friends. He loved them. They loved him. There was a relationship. In that edification process to help them to grow, taking them by the spiritual hand and walking them through the Christian life and helping them to grow. Jesus was not a part-time tutor. He was a full-time friend to his disciples. And this is where a lot of discipleship programs in some churches go wrong is they don't connect people in relationships. They just give them, you know, Bible facts and, and Bible studies, but nobody's there to help them. People ask us, you know, how long does it take? to go through the discipleship process here at Orchard Church? And I, here's our answer, we don't know. It's different for every person because every person is unique and every person is different and they have different needs. And that's the beauty of it, there's no timetable. On the average, it takes about nine to 12 months, on the average. But some people do it a little quicker, some people it's a bit, little bit longer because it meets that person relationally right where they are so that they can be growing spiritually with spiritual parents in that edification process, just like what Jesus did with his disciples. A couple of months ago, we had a volunteer appreciation banquet here at Orchard Church, and um, at that banquet, we had some testimonies from some of the people who have been discipled here at Orchard Church and, and that relationship and what a blessing it had been to them. And I know some of you have seen this, but some of you have not. And I want you to just to hear from them the impact that discipleship has had in their life. Discipleship has greatly impacted my personal walk with God. Um, I would say before discipleship, uh, I loved God, I knew God loved me, um, and I claimed to have faith in Him, but I don't know that I ever truly trusted Him. And that's, that's one thing that has really stood out about this particular program for me and how it's truly affected me is I can now trust Him in all things, um, no matter what. Discipleship made me look at my relationship with the Lord in a deeper way, made me want to pursue um, going deeper in my faith, and um, my discipler um, became one of my best friends. So just building a relationship that I could go to for accountability and just growing deeper in faith. Shortly after I signed up for discipleship, I actually went through what I would categorize as probably the, the toughest period of my life. Um, it was a period where Myself and my family faced trials that we never thought we would have had to have faced. Um, and it was right as, you know, right after signing up and right as we were entering into, or I was entering into the discipleship um, program and, and starting and, and starting meeting and starting going through the book, um, that this whole trial just came to fruition. And afterwards, and sitting here today, I can honestly say that that period of time, going through discipleship at the same time, not only did I get through it, but it grew my faith tremendously. Discipleship helped me really look at certain parts of my life that I wasn't fully giving up to the Lord. It made me realize that I wanted to devote my whole life to Him and not just bits and pieces. Um, helped me realize that I was perhaps just a fan and not a follower. 
thank you to all of you who are discipling. Um, we need you, probably more than we all may realize. Um, thank you for being there for myself, uh, for my family, and, and for this church and this community. Um, thank you for working towards the kingdom and expanding our faith and expanding our trust and expanding our walk with God. So for everyone that has been involved with discipleship and who has actually been a discipler, thank you so much for giving your time, your hearts, and um, it's an amazing thing that our church offers and I pray that you can reach more people. Thank you so much. Can we just thank all those who are involved in discipleship right now? Amen. Definitely. I just wanted you guys to see the impact that those relationships are having. And thank you to so many of you who are discipling others and those who are being discipled so you can be equipped to, to carry on that ministry because this is the ministry that Jesus did. It's the, it's the ministry he left us to do. But there's one more component, and this is one that is often left out, but if we leave this one out, then it, would, it will end. If the disciples had, had left this third one out, none of us would be here today. We've looked at evangelism, we've looked at edification, the growth process, but then the third one is equipping. It's equipping disciples to make disciples. Look at what Jesus said in verse 18 of John 17. He said, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And he was talking about his disciples. He said, I equipped them and now I'm going to send them into the world. You have it in your notes this way, to God's salvation and maturity are not enough. His third desire is that believers are equipped to become spiritual reproducers, to do the work of ministry so that we have healthy Christians and we have healthy churches. Simply put, disciples make disciples. They reproduce themselves. That's the work of the ministry. That's the work of the Lord. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. We quote that verse all the time. But we seldom go to the next verse about those of us that are new creations. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given who? Us. You know who the us is? Everyone who's a new creation in Jesus Christ who's accepted him. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Same thing he says in Ephesians. We've all been given a ministry to do. Discipleship is reproducing reproducers equipping believers to do the work of ministry. Not only that's what it is. It's evangelism, it's edification, equipping. It's doing what Jesus did with his disciples that we reproduce it and we do it with other people. But why is it important? Go back to Ephesians. We're going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 4. We ended at verse 12. We've seen what the work of ministry is. It's disciple making. But why is it important for our church? Here's why it's important. Verse 13. We're, we're to do the work of ministry, make disciples, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Perfect doesn't mean without sin. It means mature, that we're mature, we're healthy, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's the danger when we don't make disciples and we just have a lot of new believers and baby Christians that we don't help grow. Here's, what, here's the danger, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. How many of you guys believe there's a lot of false teaching out there today that does not line up with this book? You know what I'm talking about? And you know who is most susceptible and vulnerable to false teaching? New believers. 
baby Christians. That's why they've got to be discipled so they're grounded in the Word of God and they're mature and they're growing so that they know what the Word of God says, that, that they're healthy. And verse 15 says, we're to speak the truth in love to them, the Word of God, so that they may grow up. Not just get saved, but they may grow up in their faith in all things into Him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, God's family, joined and knit together by what every joint. How many joints? Every joint. That's all of us. Supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. I want to challenge you to underline that right there. We are all, every one of us, to do our share to make sure we are healthy. We have a healthy church. And when we do, it causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. It makes us healthy. But we all, every part must do its share. Not some part, not most parts. All of us, we're in this together. And it's important so that we're healthy. There was a book that came out a few years ago called Simple Church by Tom uh, Rayner. And they did a study on the healthiest churches in America. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you guys want to be a part of a healthy church? Amen. I mean, we have been. Do we want to make sure we stay healthy in 2014? Well, this is what they found. They said this. Simply stated, we found that the healthiest churches in America tended to have a simple process for making disciples. They had clarity about the process. They moved Christians intentionally through the process. And they were focused on the elements of the process. And they aligned their entire congregation to this process. That's why we talk to you guys all the time about reach, relate, reproduce. It's our disciple-making process here at Orchard Church. And so the question I have for you guys as we move, God has blessed us tremendously in the last eight years, but as we move into 2014 and the year ahead, will you join us in the work of the ministry? That's what we're to equip you guys to do. We can't make you do it. We, we can challenge you. We can encourage you. We can invite you. We can beg you. But you've got to make a decision. Are you going to be part of the work of the ministry to make disciples? Will you do your part? to do your share? Are you healthy spiritually? Will you make a decision that I'm going to make sure that 2014 is a spiritually healthy year for me, either by being discipled or making sure you're discipling and helping others be healthy? So I, I close with this. Inside of your uh, newsletter, we, as we put it every week, there's a connection card in there. It looks like this. And on that connection card, on the back, it's, there's a place that says, I'm interested in, and there's a box that says discipleship. And I want to challenge all of you, and again, thank you to all of you who are already involved in discipleship. Thank you for helping us to uh, equip you to do work of ministry. You're, we're in this together, helping us to make sure that we have healthy believers and we're a healthy church. But for those of you that have never been discipled, would you check that box, give us your contact information, drop it in the offering bucket, and you're just saying, I'm ready to be healthy. I, I want to allow somebody to come alongside and spiritually parent me, help me to grow in Christ so I can be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So for some of you, that's the decision you need to make for 2014. I want to make sure I have been discipled and I'm spiritually healthy. For others of you, you've either been discipled in the past and maybe you've taken a break or maybe you've been discipled in another church and you just need to go through our training. But you need to, to go through our training and be equipped so you can disciple others and be a discipler. It is our prayer and our goal here at Orchard Church that every part does its share, that every one of us are involved in discipleship. Either we're being discipled to get healthy or we're being equipped so we can disciple others at all times because that's the work of the ministry. 
That's our responsibility. That's what this church was, was founded on and what we're passionate about. So to those of you who are already involved, praise God, thank you. I hope this has encouraged you. Keep doing it. For those of you that haven't, I hope you'll make a decision this year to get involved. You know, last year we had 255 people accept Christ. If all of those 255 brand new baby believers had wanted to be discipled, we don't have enough disciplers to do that, that have been equipped. We want to make sure that we're ready to spiritually parent all the people that are going to be saved this year. Amen? Too much is given, much is required. So we, we need your help. And this is what God has called us to. You, you know, we live in Colorado, which every time you, they do a study on the healthiest states in the country, we're usually like in the top five healthiest states. You know, I don't know if it's because of the altitude and, you know, we breathe harder or what, I don't know. But we're, we're one of the healthiest. Let's make sure that Orchard Church stays one of the healthiest churches in this state because of making disciples. Amen? All right, would you bow your heads with me? Heads bowed, nice closed for just a second. I, I just want to pray for you guys, and I want to challenge you to be a part of the disciple-making process. Let us help equip you to do the work of ministry. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that's where it all begins. That's where discipleship begins, putting your faith and trust in Christ. If you've never done that, it's a decision you can make right where you sit today. From your heart to, to God, you can just say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, be my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. If you mean it. The Bible says, whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you've never done that, I hope you'll do that today, right now. Lord, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessings that we've experienced in this church the last eight years. We believe the best is yet to come as we continue to make disciples, as we continue to fulfill the commission you've given us, as we continue as pastoral leadership to equip the saints to do the work of ministry of making disciples, to do the work of the Lord that you did when you were here. I know without a doubt that's one of the reasons why you've blessed this church so much because we're doing what you've asked us to do. And Lord, I pray that we would not stop doing that and you would continue to bless it. I pray that there'd be many people this year that would, would say, yes, I, I'm ready to be discipled. It would be a life-changing year as they have someone spiritually parent them and help them to be healthy spiritually. And Lord, I pray that those who have discipled in the past and maybe taken a break, that they'll get back in the game. And they'll start making disciples again, Lord, and that they would be a part of, of this ministry that you've called us to be a part of for your honor and your glory and for your kingdom's sake. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate all God's doing in our church and we'll do this year? Amen.